Good morning. My name is Skylar Adams. I am the RUF Campus Minister, RUF. Um, yes, children, you are dismissed if you want to participate in children's worship. Um, now is your time. I'm one of the campus ministers that this church supports and loves and sends along with the Robert Shaws with Young Life and the Rays with Crew. So it's always an honor to share with you, uh, to be with you uh, this, this Sunday. You'll remember last summer, uh, we, um, we had a number of guest preachers who came in and many of whom kind of gave sermons on, uh, on the Psalms. And so I'm gonna return to the Psalms this morning and we're gonna look at another uh, Psalm of Ascents. Um, Forgive me if this was preached by someone else last summer. Um, I, I didn't go back into the log of, of, of sermon history to check, but this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 125, and I'm excited uh, for the Lord to meet us there. You'll remember, um, as we talked about this each week, uh, as each preacher and as Dave, and as we all kind of got up and sort of shared about the different Psalms, um, what they served, the purpose that they had. And it's been attributed to this section of the Psalter, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, uh, something of a playlist, something of an album that God's people looked to the three times of year specifically that they would pilgrimage from their nearby or faraway town back to Jerusalem to participate in Passover and the other feasts. So each and every time they would, they would do something like throw on these songs for them to make their way. And like any good uh, hymn or, or, or playlist uh, or album, they, they serve different purposes, right? You know, you got, you got a song about a breakup, that's gotta be up there. You got a song about uh, life's going great and, and you know, the top's down on your Jeep, that's on there. Um, you've got a song about um, life is really hard um, really hurting, that's on there. You gotta, you gotta have a drinking song if it's a country album. And then, uh, you know, something about uh, some significant other. Well, believe it or not, um, God has tuned our hearts to listen to different music as well. And this psalm this morning, Psalm 125, is a song about stability. A song about stability. You'll think back to a time when in your life when you fell, uh, off your bike or out of a tree or, or, or something, you, you broke an arm, you, you banged up your knees or, or something that really brought some serious tears, you know the fake tears, the serious tears to your eyes. And, and hopefully something like this happened. One of your parents or maybe an older sibling cupped your face and said, it's going to be okay. That's a picture of this song. Or maybe some of you are students or you can think back to your time as a student and you can remember a particular test or exam you took and you bombed it. And like everyone in the class bombed it as well. And so to your astonishment, you come back to class and if it's a paper uh, test that was returned to you or if it's online, you, you logged into the, to the different platform and you saw that your 70 turned into a 95 classic example of one person studying and the curve was granted to you that's what this psalm is about the curve of grace making its way to your heart in a popular movie um, a pilot has blacked out in his jet and the g-forces have forced against him so much that he's literally blacked out and his, his jet is wobbling all over the place, barreling right to a, a cliff or a mountain. 
And the only thing that this veteran pilot knew was in another jet swooped in behind this uh, feeble uh, plane with this blacked out pilot. And he did something strange. He used his weapon to wake him up. He locked his missile system on this jet because as he did it, that jet then had all the alarms ringing to wake him up. That's something that this psalm teaches. Our God using something ironic to wake us up, to stabilize our souls. Let's read uh, this psalm together. Um, it'll be printed on the, uh, in the screens, and you can look, follow along um, in your Bibles as well. Let's, let's remind ourselves of a couple of assumptions before we do read. Um, one, this is God's Word. And so um, as followers of Christ and situated in the church, we believe that, that God has revealed himself. And so he intends for his heart to be grasped today. And to the extent that we understand it or don't, Scripture also serves to read yours. So as I give ourselves to this holy, perfect word, be encouraged that our Father wants us to know him, and he wants us to be known by him even more, and us to know that. So this is God's word, Psalm 125. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is God's word. Father, we come here um, scattered. Uh, some of us are excited to be here. Others of us are frustrated to be here. Some of us have had great weeks. Some of us have had hard weeks. The good news is that you see each of us as your people individually, and you move toward us in that context so, Holy Spirit, would you bring Christ to meet us in our need? And, Father, would you see fit to actually conform us to the grace you intend to feed us with? I guess, Lord, what we're asking is that you would be alive in your word and in our hearts to convince us of the truest things that we can know. In Christ's name, amen. So the headline this morning is, is this. God stabilizes his people by connecting our need with his provision. God stabilizes his people by connecting our need with his provision. So first, I want to think about our need. Second, I want to think about his provision. And finally, I want to talk about the connection, how he bridges that gap, how that begins to move into our hearts. So obviously, for this to be good news that God actually stabilizes his people, we need to know that we kind of need it. And I'm, and I'm going to bet that I don't need to sell that. I don't need to have some snazzy uh, strategy to get you to buy the Rambo vacuum, right? Um, you're, I think you're there. You're already there. But I'm still going to try to push a little bit based on this text. As I was thinking about and praying through this text, uh, one image that came to mind is that life 
um, this side of Jesus, so like between his resurrection and before he comes back, it just feels like quicksand, right? It's like we pursue this thing, we want that thing, and it's as if it's just slipping beneath our feet. You know that life is shaky, you know that it's unpredictable, you know that it doesn't sort of output the things you put into it. In fact, it seems to work in the opposite direction. A couple of obvious current events that you're aware of, inflation is soaring, recession is looming, our health just seems to be all over the place. It's unstable, it's unpredictable. And this is the existence that we find ourselves. But the psalmist isn't only concerned with the general instability of God's people, there's a specific force that he's trying to push our need to see. It's that we think on hard days, on long days, that this instability, that this quicksand living, that this sin-suffering, painful world is permanent. When you suffer, you begin to believe that it's not going to end. Have you ever been there? Look at verse 3. Israel is being tempted to believe that evil and suffering were permanent. Where are you getting that, Skylar? Well, well, first, they thought that evil had effectively been coronated as king. You see that word scepter? It's an image of formal authority. They think that the real ruler of the roost is evil, is wickedness. And to, to further clarify that, the psalmist is saying, uh, Israel, if, evil will not, quote, rest. Did you see that in verse 3? They're assuming that it has, uh, it has been coronated as king and it has set up shop. And we're sympathetic uh, to this. I mean, think about this, the story of God's people. Think about the way that outsiders would view God's people. And what I mean is think about all the years that they were occupied Think about Pharaoh, think about the Philistines, think about Nebuchadnezzar, think about Caesar. Their entire history was more, um, look, their circumstances looked like they weren't winning. This is literally what paves the way for Messiah. They had begun to believe, and I think you and me are tempted in the very same way, that when, that when the world, it, both outside and, 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 and even within our own families and within even this church, we begin to believe it's, it's permanent. And hurting people come to some poor conclusions about God. They can. You see, emotions are good and they're very helpful, but they tell us next to nothing about our God. Two weeks ago, I was right here worshiping with you all and I felt like an imposter. Nothing we were saying was coming out of my mouth. I, it's like I heard it, but I didn't believe it. And then guilt sank in, this is all happening in the 20 minutes before preaching happens, that, Skylar, what, what is wrong with you? You're, you're supposed to be a professional at this. Have emotions fooled you before? You see, it didn't matter <laughs> that I thought that was true of me and even true of God's distance toward me because it wasn't true. Hurting people, you know this, like we begin, our, 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 
our thoughts and our emotional life. It's like we, we need something to, to actually see through the fog because we come to some really sad conclusions. And this is where the psalmist is trying to speak into. He's saying, Israel, evil and wickedness is not permanent. It isn't. And he pushes and he says, look what's going to happen if you believe that it is. Three things. First, you're going to believe that if, if evil is permanent, that the, the evil, everything's wrong with the world, is out there. If you notice in verse 3, there, there's a sense in which evil has rested on their land. And then he couples that with this lyric that says, but if you reach out your hand to do it, assuming that the that God's people had, had, had in their imaginations that, that what's wrong with the world is, is every other nation, not us. I don't know what your out there is. But, but this morning, if we're going to connect our need, if God's going to connect our need to his provision, then, it, then we need to be reminded that what's wrong with the world is me and you. We're co-conspirators, guys. You may have heard of a, a writer in the 20th century. Was, he responded to a news article uh, written by a journalist that posed this question on the print. It says, what's wrong with the world? To which he responded, I am. You see, Israel had come to believe as they'd seen like, like, okay, God says he's for us and with us, but my goodness, have you seen the circumstances of our life? That there's such a gap. What's wrong with the world is them. And the psalmist is begging them to see, no, 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 no. Sure, it exists there. But if you allow that to continue to linger, you're going to begin to think that you're somehow not a part of it. Like, oh, my hands are clean. This is what happens subtly within our hearts when we're in pain. When we think the, the, the problems are out there. Second, we begin to stretch our hands out as well. You notice that this is what he's warning them against. Right? Don't, don't do that. And for our context, I think this is... Uh, sort of the, the, the hope and promise of, of parts of the American dream. In every facet of our life, we're told to achieve and accumulate, to control and, and mitigate problems. We're, called, we're, we're, we're told to get bigger in every way except our bodies. Right? You're going to stretch out your hand and the psalmist say, don't do it. Don't fall victim to that because that's believing that evil has the upper hand. That's believing that wickedness is the only way. So we're just going to be complicit now, you know. Why not? Why not indulge? You see, if you don't think it's temporary, you're going to dump your identity, your heart and soul into something outside of yourself that's not God. And by definition, you and I become unstable. We're always doing this. We're always leaning and putting our weight into something that is losable. Our work title, our reputations, our savings accounts, our children, our spouses, our hope for either of those. We're putting our eggs in the wrong basket. And by definition, we become unstable people. And this is the place in which the psalmist is trying to connect their need to his provision. Third and finally, we, we begin to grow cynical. In verse four, there's a bit of a pep talk. He says, do good to those who do good, God. He's, he's begging them to say, like, don't quit loving God and your neighbor. Don't stop doing it. 
Have you ever moved towards someone after you've deliberated on this for, for, for such a long time and you're like, man, this is gonna work. I've thought about the things I need to say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repent of some things myself and we're gonna clear the air. We're gonna come together. We're gonna have a drink together. It's gonna be great. And then it blows up in your face. That ever happened? You ever applied for that job or promotion or, or maybe you're just thinking about applying for different jobs and you can't get an interview to any of them? Maybe you've wanted children. Maybe you've wanted a spouse. Maybe, maybe you wanted to get in that school. You know the experience of your life when your desires are unmet and, and, and they seem to accumulate on each other. And you begin to think, well, does it even matter for me? This is a real personal one and maybe this is for you as well. But it seems to me sickness and, and illness seems to attack whomever it wants for whatever reason. So my cynical heart begins to think, well, does it even matter if I eat healthy and exercise? I mean, really? The psalmist is begging us to say, yeah, it does. I was encouraged when I was working through this text, I thought about what Paul says in Galatians 6. And there's a place there where he literally just about quotes the psalmist. He says, don't cease doing good. And you know the context of that? Burden bearing. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard to live in pain. It's hard to live next to people who are hurting. You hurt. You, it is so hard not to check out. I give it to you doctors that have to meet all these bedsides and all these conditions head on. You could probably preach this sermon. How do you move in a direction that says, you know what? No, no. We've been called as the church to bear each other's burdens, not with kumbaya songs, but together. This is what happens, according to this text, when we begin to believe um, that evil is permanent. And it may seem strange when you look at the text to think these things, but it seems obvious to me that these are the assumptions that the psalmist is, has about God's people as they're making their way to Israel. We are unstable and pain quickly traps us into believing that evil has the upper hand. And one other disclaimer, I've got to tell you, and maybe you can relate to this, it's okay if you can't, but when you say things like that, I don't know where that lands. And, and the reason that I'm convinced that I'm a believer is because I have a faith in Jesus that I just didn't come up with. Because there's some things that I say that it's hard for me to believe, but I do. So receive that as a pastoral sensitivity. I'm not assuming these things to be true. But according to this text, I think this is where my heart goes. I'm not assuming to know the, the ins and outs of the different painful histories that you have. But I know that the psalmist is patiently inviting God's people to not believe that evil has won. This is our need, and God intends it to connect it to his provision. Our lives may feel like quicksand, but God gives us a picture of what it means to dwell with him, and it's the picture of a mountain. Do you see it in verse one? 
It's the picture of their destination. Have you ever thought about the destination of your vacation when you have antsy children or you're stuck in traffic? Kind of escape for a minute? You ever thought about that place that you're hoping to be with your family on that Friday when people seem to care less about your away message for your emails? Do you ever, do you ever go there? Well, this is what God has divinely inspired this psalmist to sing. Weary, sprained, ankled Israel, as you make your way to Jerusalem, this is where you're going. And he gives them this picture. What is the picture? It's Mount Zion. And I want you to know two basic things about Mount Zion. In fact, you, you know these things and you could probably teach me even more about it. But these two, from, from, from what we need to know this morning, is that it was both a physical place and a spiritual place. It was an, a geographic point and something even deeper than that. They literally envisioned, Mount Zion literally was the hill that the psalmist's mind traveled to. That he's trying to uh, encourage these beat up and bruised pilgrims. He's trying to draw them to that place. But for Israel, this wasn't just a physical place. It was always a place in their imaginations, in their worldview, that was the very presence of God. So connected to the physical place was, was man, I'm safe there. I can finally sit down. I can finally breathe deeply. I can finally be secure. Dory remembers memories in our life together very specifically, remembers uh, certain details about things. I don't have that power. I remember what it was like. I remember how it felt. I remember the, the moment. And you see, the psalmist is bringing their attention to this destination to, to physically connect with, with, with this place that meant so much to God's people, this literal hill. But no doubt, it was always spiritually significant as well. This is where they would worship. This is where they would meet the God who claims to protect them. Be reminded of that protecting love. Embrace that protecting love. Share that protecting love with their kids. This was to bring them along, to help them get there. And we know, as we've already said, that the mountain image is, is, is pretty stabilizing in and of itself, right? Like, if you think about a mountain, it, it seems like it's going to be there for a while. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's pretty heavy, right? It's hard to move and uh, pretty stable. But if you look at verse 1, it, it's not that generic mountains, it's not the physical reality of the mountain that is to represent his provision, it's the spiritual place. It's Mount Zion. It's the place where God's throne was set up. You see the story, you can, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a, God pledges himself to David unconditionally. And he says, David, I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. That's what's permanent. And we fast forward in redemptive history. That's backwards to you. We fast forward in redemptive history to Revelation 14. Remember that grand series that Dave gave to us? Reminding us that the throne is, is literally the, 
all of reality rests. And in chapter 14, John is given a vision of the throne, and what does he see? He sees a lamb that was slain. That's Jesus. Where? On the throne. The provision isn't that we become sturdy like a mountain. The provision is that we become permanent like God's throne. People who trust in the Lord are as stable as God's forever throne. And then in verse 2, his provision gets even, he adds to it. He says, the psalmist writes, uh, so the hills uh, surround Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds his people. Jerusalem was, was, was a bit of a mountain town. It was settled in this sort of saucer of hills. And these mountains surrounded, and he said, this is what I am to you. Ancient cities, they needed all sorts of fortifications to make their people safe. Whether it was water, a massive army, or some sort of geographical, physical uh, marker. And that's what these mountains were. If there's any military history buffs out there, uh, a recent war that we, that we had in, in Afghanistan, you don't even have to know much about military strategy to know that the, that the most dangerous place to be was in the valleys. And the most strategically uh, lethal positions were up in the mountains. Now, now replace this image of war with, with God there. You can't be touched. My memory went back to Boone when, when I lived there in undergrad, and there was a place called Howard's Knob, and it was up a pretty steep climb. Um, and as you might imagine, it was just an overlook that you could see App State. And, you know, Kid Brewer Stadium, where the best FCS college football has ever happened. You know, it's massive in my memory, right? This place is massive, okay? It can only hold like 15,000 people, but it was massive in my memory. And you get up to Howard's Knob, and it's smaller than half of my pinky fingernail. Our God surrounds us, church. He surrounds us. The psalmist is singing to God's people, God has held the high ground for you. You are protected on all fronts forever. This is his provision. This is where he meets needy people. We don't behave like this. So how does it sink in? What is the connection? Well, back in verse one, we see it, trust. You might be thinking, man, all of that and it's trust. All of that and, and that seems a little bit, no offense, cheap, feels a little, okay, that doesn't seem like enough, that feels uh, simpleton. It's not. How do I know this? How do we know this? Because this psalmist and these people were nowhere close to being safe. As a pilgrim himself, they knew what this journey required. They traveled to, this, to, to Jerusalem, all sorts of terrain, all sorts of conditions, without cars or air conditioning or rest stops or slim gyms or, or bathrooms or baby things to change your baby. There was nothing like that. 
completely unpredictable. So we know that this psalmist is not yanking our chain. He's not just saying, just, just trust. You may have had somebody who very unintentionally met you in a moment of, of darkness, of pain, of sadness, with, with a, unintentionally. Ah, it's gonna be okay, man. And that bothers you, doesn't it? <laughs> this trust that the psalmist is inviting to is not that. Because he's a co-laborer, this psalmist knows the journey himself. So he's holding up trust. And we know that it can't mean if you trust in the Lord, nothing bad will happen to you. It's not true. Quite the contrary. Our God has proven himself not to be a helicopter parent. He doesn't wrap us in bubble wrap to keep us from bruises and, and bumps. He has, but circumstantially, we're vulnerable. Remember the movie Bubble Boy? It's a pretty old one. That was one of the thoughts that came to my mind. That's what I wish life was like. Would you just blow this ball up and let me roll around with my friends? No. You see, this is why. Because in his providence, God guides us in and through pain because he knows this, that we will only rest in the mystery of his love, not when he removes the hard things, but when he doesn't walk out on us, when it gets hard, you may have, and if you don't, just go with me for a moment, a wealthy, absent parent. You will take a present poor parent every day of your life. You don't want somebody to throw money at your problems and remove them. You want them. And this is the gift of the gospel. By the way, he is, has a cattle on a thousand hills. He's very wealthy. But he's with you. This is where you taste the love that he has for you. There's a big fake news story that happens right now and it's called The Absence of Pain is the Good Life. But rather, it's our immovable God endured our pain for us so that in our lingering aches, he will never leave us. There are two unhelpful shame-based images of trusting Jesus, I think, one of which is climbing a mountain, the other of which is tightrope walking. I don't know which one you go to on a bad day, but you might go to one where I may have tempted you to go to one um, on an, an upcoming hard day. You know, the, the image of hiking up the mountain. You know what, man, with a lot of practice, build up my stamina, work on the endurance, with a bit of luck, I'll make it to the top. Unintentionally, has that ever crept into your life with God? Or how about the tightrope walking? You've got some morbid onlookers down here just waiting for you to mess it up. You, you work on your balance, and you'll make it from your birth to Jesus eventually. This is not the story of Psalm 125 or the story that he's inviting us into. He's inviting us to trust because he knows that shame only motivates for a day, but grace motivates for a lifetime. He understands the nature of God's commitment to frail and wavering people. He is in his bones. The psalmist is banking his life on the words of God, and he's asking us to do the same. Jesus has done everything that Psalm 125 requires, and he's done nothing that it prohibits. He is trusted in his Father with every ounce of his being, and instead of being surrounded by mountains, he was left to walk the valley alone. 
He never believed that evil had the upper hand, but he decided with the Father and the Spirit that through his body, it wouldn't. He never reached out his hand to accumulate or control, despite the constant temptations. This is the gospel. This is the good news. He never grew tired of doing good. He does this for us. He received everything that we deserve so that we could receive everything that he deserved. He was made to dust so that we could become like mountains, so that we could be hidden within the rock, so that we could be rooted and built up, Colossians 2, so that we could be built into a stone house, 1 Peter 2. Do you see now why the psalmist is saying, relax, Israel? That's verse 5. Peace to Israel. Relax. Rest easy in God. Sure, he didn't know the climax of the covenant, but he knew the character of God, which never changed. And he knew how the covenant began. You remember that story that that Dave was preaching on in Genesis 15? One of the most spectacular passages of Scripture. It was God alone, not Abraham, who walked through the pieces of that ancient covenant. And therefore saying to to Abraham and to all of us who will hear that I will not only guarantee the results of this covenant, but I will absorb all of your fear and pain, all of your anxiety, all of your anger toward me in this circumstance, all of that I will absorb for the sake of you. This is what the psalmist knew. And now we have Christ. We have seen his word prove true. I'm a 2005 3A state golf champion. Proud? You shouldn't be. Let me tell you why. So I have a state championship ring and I have a plaque that even has my name and I don't know if the governor's name's on it or what, but it's fun. It's special. It means a lot to me. I carry all the rights and privileges of this, but you know where I was that day? Home. I was the fifth golfer on the roster. They only sent four to the state championship. And only the top two even won it for us. But I got a ring. This is the gospel. We weren't there. We didn't participate. In fact, my score drug the thing down. (laughs) That's what you are. You contribute negative value, and yet he gives you all. You see, the only way to be stable The only way to secure the stability we want is to give away the stability that we have, or so we think. And did you know that Christ has already done this? He's already given you away the stability he did have to make himself unstable, so that by faith we would become stable. And he invites us, the psalmist is inviting us, give away what you think security looks like, to receive the deepest measure of it possible. There's a sober lyric toward the end of this psalm, and it really seems to put a damper on things. First part of five, it says that those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evil doers. Like, where does that fit? Well, Paul has some clarity in Romans chapter one. 
He says there that when God, let me see if I can say this succinctly. One of the worst things that can happen, or perhaps the worst thing that can happen to a person is that they be allowed to do everything that they want. Self-indulgence, self-preoccupation as we confessed, self-centeredness. When we're unleashed to the deepest longings of our heart, we will self-destruct, Romans chapter one. And that's what this sober reminder is. So you don't need to be afraid of that verse. This is just an, an invitation for someone to, to finally give away their, their, their fake stability for true stability, right? The, the, the cultural virtue today is, is to, to self-actualize, is, is to somehow become more and more autonomous, more and more of an individual. And this, this is happening in every sphere of our lives. But when you sign up with Jesus, what you're fundamentally saying is that I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, to Jesus. The cultural virtue is to look at every square inch of your life and say, I got this. I can stabilize myself. But when you sign up with Jesus, you're saying that you can't. And by God's grace, you won't keep trying. Jesus gave away the riches of heaven and the stability that was truly his so that you could taste it. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. You are forever, just like him. God surrounds his people. And today we're in Jesus. He's literally the bubble on our lives now. We're like inside of him. We're in the ark. Evil within your heart and the world is temporary. So relax. Jesus is alive, and he loves you. Amen.